Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And there is a statement that is made in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that I want to use as a starting point of our episode today. The setting in which the statement is made is when Samuel was sent by God to Bethlehem to anoint a new king out of the household of Jesse to replace Saul. Verses 6 and 7 of 1 Samuel 16 tell us, When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I look at this passage, and it impresses upon me a number of things. Right away, in consideration of why it was happening in the first place, I think it emphasizes the need for faithful obedience to God. The new king in waiting, so to speak, was being anointed because Saul had ceased to be obedient to God. Secondly, it spotlights the need for humility because Saul began to think too highly of himself and started to do what he wanted to do rather than what God wanted him to do. And thirdly, it demonstrates to me that we cannot fool God. Man tends to look only on the surface. Most frequently, what we see and what we hear is what we believe. And I guess that is the way it should be because we are not God. We cannot know as God knows. God not only sees how we appear, he sees what we are. God not only sees what we do, he knows why we did it. God knows our motives, and that is what I want to talk about today. Why do I do what I do? In the wonderful Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, I believe the entire sermon at its very core is about God. It is about how people who have God at the center of their lives, who place God first, foremost, and above everything and everybody, will act. It deals with attitudes that spring from such a God-centered life. It deals not only with what the kingdom citizens are to do and not to do, it deals with why we are to do what we do with what motives are acceptable to God and what motives are not acceptable. It is a wonderful lesson that invites us, indeed demands of us, that we put aside all of the fluff and all of the frills and all of the pretenses and see ourselves as God sees us. What a challenge. What a lesson. The sixth chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, begins with this statement from Jesus. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He then goes on to illustrate his warning in three areas that would at first glance 
appear to be evidence of great religious zeal and piety. Those three areas are charity, prayer, and fasting. We have to wonder as we look at this what attraction charity and prayer and fasting would have for someone operating out of the wrong motives anyway. But the Lord will show that people can and do perform acts that in and of themselves may appear admirable and deeply spiritual. But in reality, because of the motive behind such actions, they are really just self-serving wickedness. Let me give you an example. What do you suppose was the difference between the following two individuals that Jesus spoke about? One was in a parable, the other was a person that Jesus saw. Looking first at Luke chapter 18, verses 19, 9 through 12, we find, And he also told parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Now looking at Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, we find, And he looked up and saw the rich putting in their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. The difference was motive. Why did they do what they did? Jesus shows us that it is absolutely possible to do the most noble thing for the most corrupt reason. Just worshiping and being generous do not give man a sure refuge from evil. As a matter of fact, Satan will follow a person right into the place of prayer and turn his very worship into sin. A man must keep his heart pure and his love true. God must be the object of everything. The real issue is not whether to please God or to please men, which is a problem as well. But the real issue is whether to please God or to please ourselves. To be the kind of person that the Lord is describing throughout the Sermon on the Mount, to be a proper citizen of the kingdom, requires humility. Do you know what true humility is? Many times we perceive humility to be not thinking too highly of ourselves. But in truth, true humility is not thinking of ourselves at all. And that's the kind of person who will do what he or she does from the right motive. I like the way that Paul put it in Colossians chapter 3 verses 2 and 3 where he wrote, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to say with Paul as he did in Colossians 3 and verse 11, but Christ is all and in all. Going back now to Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll read verses 2 through 4. There Jesus said, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done will in secret will reward you. Obviously now, 
don't blow a horn every time we do something good. In other words, don't advertise it to others. Now, it is not very likely that the hypocrites to which Jesus was referring would have been so blatant as to actually sound a trumpet every time they handed some poor individual a coin. Jesus was simply using a figure of speech. But you know something? There are subtler and more effective ways of drawing attention to our charity. We may be willing to be very charitable in quiet corners and then let people know about it later in just the right kind of offhanded way. You know what I mean. It is the idea of standing around talking compassionately about the need of others, only to mention, oh so casually, what we have done for others. Jesus warns us, don't do that. The motive can spoil it all. Our Lord even went one step further because, you see, not announcing our good deeds to others only solves the problem partially. Jesus essentially said, don't even announce it to yourselves. Well, what in the world does that mean? It means give with no thought at all about some possible credit that might come our way if anybody finds out about it. I guess we could say that whenever we are acting to help relieve the needs of someone who is truly in need, and there begins to come a sense of self-satisfaction or maybe even smugness creeping over us, or a desire for someone else to know how noble we have been. If we listen real close, we'll be able to hear the sound of trumpets blaring. Let us see how even prayer can be turned into something ungodly because of an improper motive. In verses 5 through 15 of Matthew 6, Jesus said, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Prayer is at the center of a true Christian's relationship with God. That is why true righteousness and prayer must go together. There is nothing wrong with public prayer, nothing wrong with it. But it is very wrong to be praying to the audience when we are supposed to be addressing God. It is bad enough to be hypocritical when being charitable. It is another ball game altogether to be hypocritical when we are addressing God and to use prayer to our own ends. By its very nature, prayer requires opening up our hearts and other simplicity, humility, and honesty to our glorious Father in heaven. I think David expressed the attitude so well in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 when he wrote, Search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. The sin Jesus was rebuking was not standing to pray, which was a common practice among the Jews, nor was it praying on a street corner or in the synagogue. Prayer played a tremendously important role in the religious life of the Jews. It was in temple worship, it was in the synagogue, it was in other places, as well as in private situations. Some of the prayers were fixed by tradition at certain times of the day and could be offered publicly or privately depending on the circumstances. What Jesus was talking about was making sure that their prayers were in public as a means of self-elevation, as a means of establishing a reputation for being oh so religious. He was speaking of those who love to pray, not for love of prayer, or even of God to whom they are praying, but for the love of themselves and the occasion it gave them to put their reverence and godliness on display. Motive can and does render prayer worse than worthless. Remember the Lord's quotation from Isaiah in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8 when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. The closet or inner room that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 6 and verse 6 is truly figurative. It is the closet or the inner room of our hearts. There is no room that we can go to, no nook nor cranny, that can keep us from an improper motive. Even in our closet, so to speak, we can be found wishing that there was somebody else there to appreciate our prayers, our piety, and the wonderful way that we can put words together. In verse 7, Jesus turned his attention to meaningless repetition and the prayers of the pagan Gentiles. These people wanted to be heard by their gods, but they were woefully ignorant of the true nature of God. Pagan prayers corresponded to the perceived nature of the pagan deities. Pagan gods were not like the one true God, even in the minds of the people. They were indifferent, could be mean, and totally unpredictable. The Gentiles lived in fear of their gods and sought to placate them or to gain their favor through a system of endless ritualistic prayer repeated over and over and over again. Meaningless repetition referred to the idea of the Gentiles that the effectiveness of prayer was found in the words themselves and not in the heart of the one doing the praying. Repetition for repetition's sake does not involve the heart, and the heart must be involved in our conversations with God. I believe that in the sample prayer of the Lord in Matthew 6, Jesus also clearly shows that prayer offered from a heart that refuses to forgive is a prayer being offered from the wrong motive. Those who refuse mercy to others evidently are demonstrating to God a total lack of the spirit of humility and penitence necessary to obtain forgiveness themselves. Motive, why do I do what I do, is so very important. Lastly, let's read verses 16 through 18, where the Lord said, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they may be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
Fasting was an established part of the Old Testament worship. There was actually only one ordained public fast, and that was the Day of Atonement. But at times of special crisis, both the nation and individuals fasted. It had a spiritual significance. It was not intended to be therapeutic or aesthetic. It was a way of humbling the spirit before God in times of distress and almost always inseparably linked with prayer. By the time of Jesus, improper motives had entered even into this act. The Pharisees had turned private fasting into a hard and fast twice-weekly ritual. Understand that the sin here was not in the sadness of the face of those fasting or even in their unkempt appearance. That kind of behavior might naturally characterize a truly penitent believer who was held captive by the distress of his soul. Their sin was not in the fact that others learned that they were fasting. No, the sin was doing their good works, and fasting would most definitely be a good work to bring glory to themselves. It is not public worship that Jesus reproves. It is worship for the public. Once again, I make the point that motive matters. Why do I do what I do? Why do I say what I say? Is it for God or is it for me? We have just looked at three different areas that Jesus used to illustrate that point, but it is by no means limited to those three. Everything that we do has to be about God, and we must be completely honest with ourselves when we consider why we are doing what we do. Indeed, things can look good to man. We might even be able to convince ourselves that our motives are pure, but God knows. Remember, my friends, a man is not humble because he thinks so little of himself. He is humble when he doesn't think of himself at all. How do we get to that point? Only by forgetting ourselves in the face of a far greater loyalty and devotion. We won't have improper motives behind our actions, even those actions we take in worship and among our brothers and sisters in Christ, when Jesus has so filled our hearts that there is no longer room for anything else. Let's close with Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, where Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I hope these words have been beneficial for you today. Thanks for listening.